0: This morning, I'll be reading from Haggai chapter 1, verses 7 through 15. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house, that I may take pleasure in it, and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? declares the Lord of hosts because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. This is the word of our Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. You may be seated. When I was 24 years old, I was working at Wofford uh, College. It was one of those kind of gap uh, positions, gap jobs. I was a special assistant to the president that year, and working on my uh, my master's thesis. And so um, I was uh, young, and I had a whole lot more time than I had money, as many twenty-four year olds do. And so I decided I would start running. I'd never run. I've never played a sport. I am the uh, antithesis of an athlete, uh, so I decided I would start running and i did i didn 't know a single thing about running; I just knew that um, I would just go and run and so I went and uh, began running around the campus of of wafford and um, i didn 't know how far to run i, I didn't I just knew nothing. And uh, some of you know where I'm going with this, uh, all of a sudden I started to have this pain in the front of my legs, in the front of both of my legs, they began to hurt pretty badly and uh, I was raised with, if something hurts, just push through it, you know, you, uh, nothing just pushed through, so I thought, well, I'll, it's soreness, I'll get there, I'll just push through and I'll be okay and it didn't go away. So I worked in the same building as the uh, athletic trainers. I walked down the hall one day and I said, guys, my, my shins are hurting so bad. I've, I've started running and my shins are hurting badly. And they said, you know, yeah, we've seen you around campus. And they said, you have shin splints. Uh, shin splint, what, what is that? Just, you know, you're, you're, you're bruised. It's almost like you're bruised. On, the, the bone is bruised. You've got to take a break and you've got to buy you some running shoes. Running shoes? I didn't know there was such thing. I thought shoes were shoes, you know? And so, yes, you got to have some running shoes, certain shoes that work uh, with your legs while you run. And, and so I had to take the break several weeks off and go get me some running shoes. In, in a small, small way, compared to what we'll talk about today, I had to do what Haggai tells uh, uh, from God the people to do, consider my ways. I had to rethink How I was doing what I was doing. And this morning, uh, this message is a call. Uh, Twice in the passage we're looking at, uh, we are told to consider your ways. Uh, First, consider your ways, what you're not getting. Consider your ways, what you're in parentheses not getting. Verses five and six. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. There were two kinds of people living in Israel at that time. There were the exiles who had left 70 years earlier and had now returned. And then there were the folks living in Israel who had never left They stayed back and they didn't, they weren't carried away to Babylon. Uh, And they had seen for 70 years the awful poverty of their homeland. Their country was in ruins, the economics of their country uh, were were devastated, and uh, they had witnessed this. Haggai points out, you have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, and you're still thirsty. You see, what these people had forgotten was the very words of God through the servant Moses to the people of God when their forefathers, when Uh, they were about to cross the Jordan into the promised land. Moses, in the book of Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy records three speeches. And in his third speech, Moses, who himself, for consequences of his own actions, who can't go into the promised land, Moses talks to them about blessings and cursings. In chapter 28, uh, part of the third speech is recorded and Moses says, but if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city and cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in and cursed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will send on you curses Confusion and frustration in all that you undertake to do until you are destroyed and perish quickly on account of the evil of your deeds because you have forsaken me. The Lord will make the pestilence stick to you until he has consumed you off the land that you are entering to take possession of it. The Lord will strike you with wasting disease and with fever, inflammation and fiery heat and with drought and with blight and with mildew. They shall pursue you until you perish and the heavens over your head shall be bronze and the earth under you shall be iron. The Lord will make the rain of your land powder. From heaven, dust shall come down on you until you are destroyed. Wow. Moses said, ignore God and there will be curses. From God himself. Evidently, these people have forgotten that. They're sowing and things aren't growing. They're drinking and they're still thirsty. Um, We go to Africa every year and when we do, we, we ride on what you would consider to be a traditional safari bus. And we get on that bus, and depending on how many people are on that bus and how much luggage is on top of it determines how long it takes us to get from point A to point B. Because we go down roads. They're not really roads. I have no idea how the person in front knows where we're going because we're going into the bush where there's no electricity and the roads are sandy trails. It's just Trails inevitably our bus gets stuck. inevitably. And so when it does, Mongoni, who is our bus driver every single time, he'll start to rock it to the left and rock it to the right, and occasionally that will unstuck the bus. But more often than not, we have to climb out. all of us sometimes. And a few of us get behind the bus and we push it out. Why? When you get behind the bus, you'll see the wheels and they're in sand. And if Mongoni just keeps revving the gas, those wheels are going to spin that sand out and that bus is going to be deep in sand. And he seems to know just the moment where it's not going to work, everybody gets off and we push out. Some of you in your life are there. You are spinning your wheels. You're doing the same thing over and over again and getting the same results. And this message is a call for you to examine the fruit of your life. If there is no change, if 2022 is already like 2021, then you're in a rut. You're stuck. This is why the second question from last week's sermon is so important. What one thing could I start or stop doing today that would change the course of my life for God's glory and my good? One thing. Someone has said insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Consider your ways what you're not getting. Don't ignore the reality of the results of your life. Secondly, consider your ways what you're not doing. Verse four, is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Paneled houses were a luxury then. To be able to panel the inside of your home in Haggai's day meant you had money. It's why commentators think that this uh, question is posed most likely to Joshua, the the high priest, and uh, to uh, uh, Zerubbabel, the governor. Uh, How in the world could anybody else, a common uh, family, afford a paneled house in that day? That's the question. Now, if that is the case, imagine this. Joshua is the high priest. His work is done in the temple. If this question is directed at him, uh, the question is, how can you, the high priest, whose work is in the temple, live in your paneled house while the temple lies in ruins? Seventy years of rain coming in, on a collapsed roof, Uh, the wood swollen from moisture and parched by the sun of a Middle Eastern climate for 70 years. How, Joshua, could you do that? The reason he could and the reason that you and I at times ignore the reality of our lives is that sin distorts reality. Sin causes us to see with blurred vision. Verses 7 and 8, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, Second time it's mentioned in this brief passage, go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. Uh, What was the one thing they needed to do? Build the temple. That was it. They they didn't need a three-day spiritual retreat to figure this one out. No, the temple is in ruins. Go build it. This brings me back to the question, what one thing could I start or stop doing today that would change the course of my life for God's glory and my good? I would encourage you not to overthink that. I really would. I would say if you have to spend loads of time, you may be ignoring what is right in front of you. Notice the reasons God gives them for rebuilding the temple, that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified. This is worship language. It is worship language for when God takes pleasure in something, it's the same phrase used to describe his response when his people brought sacrifices. He took pleasure in them. That I may be glorified could also uh, be translated that I may in my glory. You say, what what does that mean? It means that God wants to show up and show out in your life. God wants to show up and show out in your life. This morning, early, maybe 7.30-ish, 7.40, uh, the team is rehearsing. Larry Mock is walking in. I think he's serving as a greeter or something. He's walking in, and the songs today, they're so on point. They're so good. And Larry looked at me, and he said, I've got Holy Ghost bumps. (laughs) What does he mean? There's, There's a sense of the glory of God. Right? God is showing up and he is showing out. Haggai continues You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth on man and beast and on all their labors. Just like God spoke through Moses, isn't it? If you think God took pleasure in blowing away what they brought home, think again because the word that opens the next section, though small in letters, is huge in impact. Then. T H E N. Everybody needs a then. Moment, and I will tell you from my uh, 53 years of living and 38 of that of walking with the Lord, uh, you'll need more than one. There will be more than one bend in the road, more than one turning point in your life. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed. Then obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. I would ask you is today you're then tired of dating your way? Then tired of solving work problems your way? Then tired of spending money your way? Then, tired of self medicating your way. Then, tired of marriage your way. Then, tired of a guilt cycle your way. Then. Today could very well be the then in your life. They obeyed, and secondly, they feared the Lord. Now, I will admit that all my life I've struggled to understand that. The phrase, the fear of the Lord. I'm reading a book right now that that is on the very thing, the whole book is on the fear of the Lord and I'm still growing in my definition. But here is my working definition of the fear of the Lord. To fear God Is to be overwhelmed by his glory and grace, his wrath and love, his judgment and mercy, his punishment and his peace. I'll say that again. To fear God is to be overwhelmed. That's a key word. The fear of God has an emotional reality to it. It's to be overwhelmed by his glory and grace. It's intentional that these characteristics are contrasted. His glory and grace, his wrath and love, his judgment and mercy, his punishment and his peace. Stephen Charnock writes, Nothing in God looks terrible in Christ to a believer. All right, so I'm going to have to slow down here, and you're going to have to put your, as if you grew up in school like I did, your thinking cap on, or this could escape you. Nothing in God looks terrible in Christ. To a believer, let's go back to the definition and let me see if I can help explain. You see, without Christ, I run from God's wrath, but in Christ, I run toward God, knowing that on the cross, Jesus took God's wrath. And as a result, I feel a love like I've never felt before. Nothing in God looks terrible in Christ. A believer. Without Christ, I cower under God's judgment, but in Christ, I receive God's mercy, knowing and believing that Jesus was judged for my sins, not his. Without Christ, I wait for my punishment, and I would tell you, friends, if you are not in Christ, it's coming. You will be punished. Hell is real. I know it isn't popular. I know as some of you are watching me online, it's time for you to tune out. But there is an eternal place of separation from God. And you say, how could God? I would ask you, how could God send his son Jesus to die on the cross for you? And you look at him and look at his death naked dying body and go your own way and live your own life and think that somehow that is okay how could god send his son for us without christ i wait for my punishment but in christ i know and tremble before one who loved me enough to take my punishment for me and i as a result have peace i have true peace this is why that old hymn written by John Newton now has a new ring to it. Twas grace that what taught my heart to what? Fear, and grace my fears what? Relieved. Oh, oh Mr Newton, what what do you mean? In other words, I must be afraid of God as a sinner before I can fear him as a saint. You say, what do you mean? When I was a 15-year-old kid on a Tuesday night, I, I was bored. And in our world, no TV, not much to do. Dad said he was going to revival service. I jumped in and went with him. We end up at a revival service and while the preacher is preaching for the first time in my 15 years of existence, though I grew up in church every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, revival services that dad preached for the first time as a 15-year-old, I realized that I was lost. And I remember sitting on the second row of that large worship space that night realizing the lostness of myself And I couldn't wait for the preacher to finish so I could go down and pray. I don't remember what I said, but I do remember this. Like we just sang, sang. I went uh, uh, down a sinner and I came up a saint. I went down lost and I came up found. I went down empty and I came up full. I remember that night and I remember what God did. In other words, uh, it was grace that taught my heart to fear that night. Grace showed up and made me afraid of eternity without Jesus, but it was that same grace that night that relieved my fears and set me on a course to walk with Jesus and to know him and to know a love like I've never known before. Oh, it has boundaries. There are things I cannot do that I want to do. Paul wrote about that, but I'll can tell you having walked with him for 38 years i'd rather walk with him through the lowest valley and go with him through the highest mountain than to have smooth sailing without him amen church i'd rather have jesus as that old hymn writer says than anything this world affords today What I didn't notice when I was studying this without the help of a commentator is if you look back in verse 2, thus says the Lord of hosts, these people, God's talking, and he says, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Anytime God calls his people these people, it ain't good. You know, that's when Trent has acted like an idiot. And I'll look at Wendy and say, you know your son? That son of yours? I'll say that while Trent's listening. And he'll look over at me. He knows what I mean. God called them these people. But look at verse 12. The people obeyed the voice of the Lord. Their God. What? What? Notice the change in tones and in tone and words now. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. What? What had happened? How did they go from being this people and these people to God saying, I am with you, declares the Lord? Had God disowned them? No, not at all. He just let them be. Oh, I don't want God ever to do that. Do you? If God just lets me be, if he never calls me out, oh, I'm afraid of what I do. He had not disowned them. They had disowned him. That's what had happened. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheathiel, and governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of of, of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. Let's just do a little bit of dating and time. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month. On the first day of the month is where the first word came from Haggai. We are now, same month, same year, on the 24th day. Just a little over three weeks and the work has started. It's been in rubble for years. But now, the work has begun. I'm going to pose the question to you again, but but now changing one word. What one thing must I start or stop doing today that will change the course of my life for God's glory and my good? What one thing must? In other words, what does obedience look like to you then 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 do it for some of you perhaps for some of you watching online perhaps that one thing is trusting christ As your savior. It is surrendering your life to Him. It's the most important then you'll ever experience. And if you sit here today and that is you, and you say, I, Jerry, like you when you were 15, for the first time realize that I'm lost and today I want to be saved. How? Would you bow your heads, please? Nobody's looking around. This is a time between you and the Lord. I'm going to give you a prayer to pray if that is you. You can pray it to the Lord. Uh, uh, The attitude of your heart matters way more than the words of the prayer. Goes like this, dear Jesus. I admit I am a sinner, and I am so sorry. I believe that you died for me, I believe you rose from the dead. I believe my sin is why you died. Forgive me. Come inside my heart and life. Take over. Thank you, Jesus. From this day forward, I am yours. This morning, if if you prayed that prayer and you trusted Christ as your Savior this morning, at the end of this service, Adrian will be down here. I'll be out front. Let one of us know. And we'll walk with you through all the next steps. Jesus, thank you for the then moments. Thank you for amazing grace that saved, Lord, a wretch like me.